0: Welcome to This Week of Common Sense, starring Paul Jacob. My name is Timothy Verkula. This is the podcast for the last week, well, the last full week of November 2020. We have a podcast to do. And you you had five pieces this week. We didn't punt for Thanksgiving Day.
1: We didn't do any cheating on Thanksgiving. And of course, you know, it's uh, it is nice when you're doing a daily thing. It's always nice that there's a day you can... You know, put up a graphic or something, and Thanksgiving's perfect, but we we had I, I thought a uh, uh, something to say on Thanksgiving and was a easy story to relate and always a good story to uh, you know to keep people aware of uh, that there are some really sad situations in this world. Um, and maybe that's where we start., uh, the saddest Thanksgiving.
0: So, but that was the day before Thanksgiving.
1: That was the day before Thanksgiving. Um, oh, no, no, that, that's right. That's And that's a different story. Uh, the Thanksgiving was Thank You, Anonymous Leaper.
0: Right, which was uh, a more fun story. Yes,
1: not a, not a down story. And we'll get to the down story maybe next. Uh, but but um, Thank You, Anonymous Leaper is about the North Korean uh, gymnast – And thank thank goodness he was a gymnast because he managed to find a way to literally leap over a uh, very high uh, fence, uh, barbed wire fence, to freedom. And, um, you know, all over this world, there are varying degrees of freedom, but there are still an awful lot of places and an awful lot of people who live in basic totalitarianism, and uh, probably no more obviously totalitarian place in this world than North Korea. And uh, thank goodness, you know, at least Trump will be able to get through his term, not having given them any like free oil. I remember when I believe it was the Clinton administration that Clinton had some deal with them where he was sending them you know, free oil because, of course, their totalitarian, completely repressive country is, uh, gee whiz, not very economically dynamic. And uh, and they were starving and didn't have any fuel and so on and so on. And Clinton did a deal with them, you know, to they were going to do some things and we'd give them free oil and they got the free oil. <laughs> and that was pretty much it. And so, uh, you know, I mean, it, I, I think the whole time, the, the deal with North Korea and with, with uh, Trump has been, you know, pretty iffy, uh, but I've never really been too worried about it. And, you know, sometimes you worry Trump or any president, you know, doing something that's, that's going to be problematic with North Korea. It's, it, you know, it's not like you're going to make them crazy. They're already crazy. And, um, and so anyway, nice to see someone escape. Uh, what's happening in North Korea. And of course, on over the border of North Korea is a totalitarian country that has it much better economically. uh, China uh, has has certainly lifted living standards, has pulled a lot of people out of poverty. Uh, Not so many people starve as used to starve in China. Of course, they were starving under Mao and under a communist system. And basically, that communist system has become a capitalist system in this sense, not in the free market sense of capitalism, but in the sense of capitalism as go make money, go create capital. Um, And China has, you know, it's why they have horrible environmental records, uh, because they they don't you know, they don't have to take care of the environment unless the government tells them to and the government tells them to go make money. And don't worry so much about the environment. And of course, the same was true in in uh, the Soviet Union. Uh, and, you know, I, I remember, right after it became Russia, I actually took a trip to Russia in 1993. And I remember flying home and boy, <laughs> you know, it's always nice to fly home from there. Uh, uh, I remember I sat next to a guy who had been out in Siberia in the oil fields. And he he was telling me it's almost as if they go out of their way to be sloppy and to leave messes. And he said they would just create, you know, just throwing everything all over and not not a care in the world about the environment. And then they move down the road, if it you know, and and do it again. And uh, and that has been the record of the more, you know, we need government somehow, we're we're constantly told to keep the environment safe from these capitalist exploiters. But in the places where they get rid of the so called capitalist exploiters, are the places that the environment is completely desecrated. And, uh, and when you think about it, well, where is the environment most protected? It's places where individual human beings can go to court and say your pollution violated my rights and you have to stop it. And in a country like China, where the government has all power, there's no democratic check on that power. You could go to the government and say you have to stop it. The government say, no, we want the money from that economic activity. And so it's uh, there's a, and when you think of Korea, North Korea, I don't know what the population right off the bat of North Korea is. Um, but I can tell you the population of China is somewhere between 1.4 and 1.5 billion people. And uh, that's an awful lot of people living under totalitarianism. And you know, other, you know, oppressive authoritarian regimes around the world, but but think of a country like India, which has a functioning democracy to some extent has a a tremendous amount of religious and ethnic strife. Uh, But India has a a copy of the Hong Kong national security law, very similar. If you live in India and you say this government is horrible and terrible, you can be brought up on charges. And uh, it's why on this podcast and at thisiscommonsense.org, we constantly talk about freedom of speech, and that freedom of speech is America's gift to the world. It was the first place that that just codified that you can say anything you want, and the one group of people who cannot do anything about it is the Congress of the United States congress shall make no law that's how the first amendment begins so when it comes to your religious freedom your ability to speak your ability to get together congress can make no law that blocks that and of course the 14th amendment has spread the the uh bill of rights basically to the states too so the state governments can't make any law on that basis now when you think about that they're making all kinds of mandates right now about about what you can do not so much what you can say although they've they've got they've got silicon valley and the high tech companies to regulate our speech you know privately but uh but but in terms of all of these lockdowns and and mandates what gives especially when it's it's not even legislated oftentimes it is the governor or the mayor just telling people what they have to do and and putting people out of business and of course they can they can refuse to do it and i think ultimately a court would probably uphold that they were right that the governor didn't have any power to mandate that they shut down their business or wear a mask or whatever particular thing it is and as we've continually said let people be free you can mandate it some people are still not going to do it But if you would ask people to do what you think is the right thing as a government elected official, you would find a lot more um, resonance to what you're saying, a lot more people listening, considering it, people are going to do what they want to do for the most part. And as a lot of different mandates go into effect in lockdowns, you know, police have been clear in a lot of places in the country, we're not going to be arresting people for having more than 10 people at Thanksgiving dinner for, you know, if someone didn't wear a mask somewhere and bumped into somebody on a city street, the police are not doing a manhunt to go find that person. And so, you know, uh, thankfully, Sheriff Andy Taylor lives in, in a lot of police forces around the country uh, with just a little bit of common sense. But anyway, that, that we've gone far afield. Uh, but on Thanksgiving, we just said thanks to someone who took a leap of faith, got over a nine-foot wall with barbed wire, and is free and not uh, subject to the North Korean totalitarianism. And he was smart. You know, it's funny he didn't jump the fence to go to China. He jumped the fence to go to South Korea. I'll bet that wasn't an accident.
0: Yeah, I- Pretty sure that's not an accident. And nicely uh, to go back to the mandates in the United States, there are uh, quite a few courts now are striking down gover- governors' uh, edicts. Uh, that's Cuomo, right. Cuomo just got got a big no.
1: That is great. And sometimes you worry in an emergency that the courts are so deferential, uh, but they, they've been very good on that. And of course, the Michigan Supreme Court, Whitmer has has created so much controversy and and polls, you know, some of the polls have shown she, that it's popular, some of her different mandates. But the Supreme Court there shut down and said, you don't have any of these powers. And uh, and then, of course, the problem was her attorney general was saying she's going to continue to enforce those mandates that the court said she could not. Now, that's a level of law, lawlessness. Uh, that's just beyond the pale. And of course, at this is commonsense.org. I don't remember the title of the of the script, but we have a search function. Um, and we we talked about the fact that this this can be rectified. Michigan has a recall process and they have begun a recall effort in Michigan. Uh, on the on the attorney general, and thank. Goodness and there's
0: also talk of impeachment as well. They are talking
1: about in, impeachment uh, of the government. But I'm not sure
0: how they can do it with the political situation they're in, right? Is, is that well? They the, the possible?
1: Republicans have a majority in that legislature. They could, oh, okay. uh, and I don't know what the vote thresholds are. So it's quite possible that they could impeach her. They're not going to because the the effort to impeach. Um, which we haven't discussed it. This is commonsense.org. But, but uh, if you Google it, you'll find there are some folks who've, who've said we're going to file something on impeachment. Maybe they've already filed it. But leadership had pretty much said, we're not we're not letting this go anywhere. So the Republican leadership is, has decided, I'm sure, for political reasons, like everything, every other decision is made, that they're not going to go after uh, Whitmer. I think they think somewhat in the same way that, you know, the impeachment And all these different things that the Democrats did to get Trump is not what got Trump, I think. Um, I think that coronavirus and the fears built up on that was really, it was the driving thing in the election on a lot of the subsidiary issues. Uh, The economy, I think people thought Trump would be better. Uh, A lot of foreign policy, China, which was a big issue. And a lot of ads run about the different, you know, with Hunter Biden taking money from the bank uh, in China and, uh, and Trump really battling China. Uh, And really, in my mind, I can't think of another president who's even, you know, attempted to step up and and block China on on anything. Uh, You know, that that I think a, a lot of those issues were to Trump's benefit, the the unrest, uh, over the summer and even into the fall uh, and the Black Lives Matter and some of the what looked like China in the Cultural Revolution, you know, you're dining someplace and someone's going to threaten you that if you don't raise your fist and say Black Lives Matter, that, you know, who knows what will happen. And, and people, you know, it took the Democrats uh, to have a couple pollsters tell them that, you know, this is not really working very well. And they figured it out uh, in time to, to adjust a little bit but after the election of course a lot of Democrats as we talked about it uh, at common sense uh, really were upset at the at the the left but it but you know the, the truth is they shouldn't be so upset they went along with all of it and the fact that they didn't you know have a sense until the end that oh gee maybe we shouldn't be in favor of looting you know looting just. You know, no matter what problems there are, looting just is an ugly thing to witness. And, you know, the day that Americans see looting and think, geez, this is wonderful. What a great political statement. uh, we, We will be lost on that day.
0: From what I could tell of my friends, they just simply denied it was a very big problem that it was just a few looting episodes you know that, that that was the whole thing the whole summer is that there are no riots there are no there is no looting, there are no fires, it's just you know it's just a few attacks on the federal buildings. Why are you so worked up about it i I got this a lot from my leftist friends in, in this area
1: yes yeah no i I heard some of that exact same thing that it's you know it's, it, why are you even bringing that up? It's so small. Well, if it's so small, then you know, quantify it as so small. It, it's, it's, uh, you know, the Portland thing. I thought one of the funny things was, it was really all caused by Donald. You know, I, do you remember when, when it kind of became public that he had people there? The argument was it was all petering out, and there was no real problem until Trump sent these federal agents and so on. Then of course he reaches an agreement, pulls federal people out and all hell breaks loose. So it, you know it, it, the, the trouble with some of the spin and the messaging, even having the media there to help with that spin and on your side, in fact, maybe leading the charge oftentimes for the Democrats is that people are apt to believe what they see with their eyes over what you tell them. And you know, all the funny memes. And of course, sometimes it wasn't just a funny meme. It was literally what was happening on our television sets, where some reporter is saying, these have been largely peaceful protests where there's fires (laughs) raging behind them. And I mean, and the truth is, even vandalism, that was one of the things that was talked about a lot that the property destruction. Well, what what happened to George Floyd was a lot worse than property destruction. Well, George Floyd was killed. So could I go next door and like chop somebody's leg off and go, oh, well, but it's not as bad as, you know, killing someone. I mean, this, this somehow that it's okay to smash the windows of some business that, of course, no one's argued that that business did anything. The only way you can justify any of that is if you are in favor of a revolution to destroy every building in America and turn it to rubble, that that is the best approach, that this system is so sick it needs to be overthrown and demolished in every way, shape, and form. Every business should be burned to the ground because it's unfair and terrible. And we need to go back to a state of nature. I think Hobbes is gonna be more right than than people think. And uh, I mean, that's, of course, that's at the base of all the communism, socialism, which is kind of the same thing. All the base of that philosophy is about how we split up the loot, how we take abundance and make sure that everyone gets their fair share. It's nothing about creating abundance. And that's what capitalism and free markets Because freedom creates incentives if people are free they can work with for themselves and when they work for themselves they create a lot more and you know what sometimes we can't spend all the money and I work at a business a non nonprofits where unless people give us money we don't they're not buying products they like what we're doing and they're donating money to it well people don't donate money if they don't have any excess cash around. And when you think about it now, other people might say, well, I have a different business. We sell widgets or whatever, but if people don't have money, they're not gonna, they're not gonna do that. And, and if you're in a high tech business and a new startup, well, where do you think, how do you think startups happen? Somebody had made a bunch of money and now they want to invest it. And that's how you're getting your job. And so this is, you know, it, it, Paul Songer, long time ago, uh, he uh, ran against Bill Clinton in 1992 in the Democratic primaries. He had cancer and so on, and and uh, and he wasn't, you know, he's from Massachusetts, and he wasn't, you know, he didn't have Bill Clinton's gift for gab. He, he also lacked some of the other things Bill Clinton had. Thank goodness, but um, but Songus said you cannot be anti-business and pro-labor, and you just you you can't believe that we should with this abundance that has been produced that we should be able to feed everybody well this that's that's new that's new in the world and it's been created by capitalism and if you hate capitalism then you want to live in a world in which that excess profit that abundance doesn't exist and that's you know they they're talking about the fear of starvation and and hunger and and just you know, not having food in the grocery store that can feed all of our people, because of shutdowns in this pandemic. And, you know, think about it, if if this country is facing that, how many people are going to starve in the Horn of Africa? How many people are going to be starving in Bangladesh? It's it's uh, the the abundance created by capital, capitalism and free markets, that ought to be uh, given some appreciation, some thanks. And it's not as if it can't go away. You know, it's a lot easier to spend money than to make money. And if you don't think that politicians can blow everything that hardworking businessmen and, and women have created, they can blow it fast. And so if you think, oh, well, now we've reached this level, and it's just automatic that the money keeps flowing in. I beg to differ.
0: Yeah, you've reached the real crucial thing about the ideological debates. I think people just assume that what we have is what we'll always have simply because we have
1: it. Yes.
0: Right. And and, and the political and the redistribution have no real effect on that. That is actually kind of the general theory of the left, uh, that we can redistribute everything we want, and it won't affect the production of future goods. Yes. To me, it's probably not true.
1: Well, it, it's kind of pretending that, that it's great that you've had success, Tim. That's our success. We're going to take whatever we want from you. It, it's also, it's utopian in the thinking. And I remember back, I'm old enough, that in, and you are too, thank goodness. Uh, misery loves company. Um, but But I remember back after we put a man on the moon, the saying, if we can put a man on the moon... We can end poverty, wipe out all diseases, do, and of course that's it's not it's just not true. We can't wipe out all diseases magically just because we sent a man to the moon. Um, and what it was though is people saying, well, if, if our society can do all this now, somehow we, even as voters, and of course we all recognize. There's never been a society which voters have had enough control that they actually were voting to make all these decisions. Someone's going to be making those decisions for us. But if somehow we think that we can have the same thing that was developed by other folks on their own by just commanding it, just taking it over, it's like, it's like the countries that go communist and nationalize the industries. You know, Venezuela has an oil industry that they've nationalized it's not really that Venezuela is not doing so well. Um, And this has happened again and again, they nationalize companies, but they don't get the same that they would have gotten. had They'd let those companies be free and taxed them. So it's, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it is a utop basically a utopian um, attitude, communism, socialism, and, and you know, with, with kind of no appreciation for how we got to where we are. And like you say, with the idea that we're just always going to be there, that money's always going to flow in. And look at these lockdowns where, well, they should just pay everybody. just And we'll just, you know, maybe for six months or a year or two years, every business in America just gets a check, every person gets a check, every, and no one has to do anything. I mean, that's, you know, how do the checks get sent out? How does the food get delivered? How does the...
0: Yeah, and there is no stuff if you're not making stuff. So yes. at some point, stocks right. And the nice thing about the last, you know, this last year and the lockdowns is that they have let sectors of the economy work. Yes. You know, I mean, though it's interesting how they chose some groups to attack and some groups to let go. Walmart and Costco and Home Depot locally are doing great. Yes. But. There are a lot of little businesses that have just gone down because of these things. So it's interesting how the big businesses were, were given the go-ahead to be open, and uh, little businesses were basically shut down. Yes. Yeah.
1: and And to me, you know, anybody, someone losing their business... I mean, I would think almost anybody, you don't have to be in business to have a sense of how much work someone's putting into their business. It'd be like if someone wrote a, a great novel, and then someone else stole it and published it. Um, and then they didn't get anything. You know, there's a lot of blood, sweat and tears that go into a business, regardless of what the business is or anything someone does. And to see it just smashed. Um, it's it's heartbreaking. And it also changes the nature of our society. I'm not anti big corporation because big corporations sometimes can produce goods that you buy. Okay, that's a good deal. But I have a little bit more trust in the smaller business. And I also want there to be a lot of competition and a lot of people who are in business. So there's not just, you know, we don't want one or even two or even three choices in any particular thing from you know cars to TVs to whatever we want as many as we can get because we want that we want the cheaper prices we want the innovation we want to be able to say well i like you know i like my coffee with a little bit of a shot of this and i get the best one over here and oh no i don't like it that way i like this coffee we want that competition and we anyway we've we've gotten far afield of our uh, scripts this week because we really didn't have a script that's exactly that. Um, but we should talk about uh, maybe the saddest Thanksgiving because the one script we have done was about the North Korean and the and celebrating his success uh, and the success of you know anytime someone gets out of totalitarianism, gets out of of a repressive government and gets to freedom. I mean, I just I feel like that helps me and and I think we all should feel that way because it does help us. It means there's one less slave. But you know, being being uh, used by the slave countries and uh, which which are really, you know, it's not that many countries. It's a ton of people, but it's not that many countries. And and that's great. On the day before Thanksgiving, uh, we talked about suicide. And uh, it's hard to think of anything sadder or more tragic. Um, You know, as a as a parent, and I've known uh, friends who've had a child commit suicide, it's just the saddest, saddest thing. Um, And you know, if you live long enough, you know, you've experienced some depression, some sadness some trauma and i'm talking about emotional trauma thing bad things that happen that are tough to get over i'm I'm not talking about breaking your leg or something and um and so you know stuff happens and and it's just it's devastating and so the last thing in the world you want is more of that You were always looking for ways that we can reach out to the person. And because sometimes when you're in that position, the last thing you want to do is go talk to someone you tend to when we get and I know this in myself and you see it in people all the time when we have a problem where maybe we need that interaction the most is when we are most going to go by ourselves because we're not feeling it. You know, we're we're not thinking, gee, I want to go see a friend we're thinking, I want to get away from any, everybody, because I feel terrible. Um, and so we know that in this pandemic it had been, you know, suggested by a lot of different people, both, you know, psychiatrists and, and people who are dealing with this issue, and just average people who have us understanding of how important it is that we have connection with other people. And then not just as we say in, in the script, the saddest Thanksgiving, not just on our screens. Facebook is wonderful to communicate with people and, and uh, I'm, I'm we're beginning to get on MeWe and other places. That's great. All of this, you know, the ability to Skype call or zoom call or what have you. That's wonderful. It's not the same thing as actually being personally with people getting a hug touching. Um, I know in in my, you know, in my past life, when I was a young person, I was on the run, I refused to register for the draft was on the run for a year, however long two years, I guess. Uh, And I was by myself, most of that time. And there were times where you go months without a hug. That's not a healthy situation. And you start to kind of recognize, whoa, I, you know, I need people. So what we have here is that Japan has been keeping statistics in a way that is a little bit more robust than the way the US keeps statistics on suicide. And um, they have just gone through the roof with COVID-19. And, and they, you know, they were They found it. Well, then I'll read you exactly what they say. The 2,153 suicides reported last month are about 600 more than the previous year. Think about that. 2,153 suicides reported last month are about 600 more than the previous year. Wow. Um, and, uh, largest gains in women. Uh, I believe I'm correct that women actually attempt suicide, more men are much more successful. Uh, but these are six, these are unfortunately unsuccessful or successful suicides. And, and so what this is saying is, wow, this is that uh, was a 80% surge, uh, Uh, and suicide among women. This is something that we have to, you know, it's easy to have a list there's there's no uh, on your TV. If you're a TV watcher, especially if you're watching, you know, Fox News or MSNBC or CNN, they always have the little in the corner, the Coronavirus deaths in the world in the country and how many they don't have the ticker on the suicides. But you can see in Japan and maybe you know maybe that's uh, different than the US but I think we all kind of understand these are this is the prerequisite for a huge increase in suicide we've seen some increases at least there's been some reports of increases in domestic violence that's only to be expected um, but again so so what what's the solution well people may still want to they may want to stay in their homes, even if you don't lock them down. But let them be free, let people decide that. And I think sometimes somebody who's feeling like they can't stay inside their four walls anymore might want to leave. And that's a good thing, not a bad thing. So anyway, this, uh, this particular uh, script, we we don't have a solution to solve the suicide problem. Um, but we're just pointing out lockdowns are antisocial. And the whole idea that, you know, and and I, 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 you know, I just was together with people for Thanksgiving. And I thought, you know, we were outside almost all the time. And, you know, didn't try to all stay in the same small space, you know, talking for hour after hour. Uh, But certainly, you know, there's some risk involved. And I'm coming to see my 86 year old mother. And I was here in August. Uh, because my sister who's caring for her every day, and it's a good a decent amount of care that has to be provided every day. Uh, you know that the other brothers and sisters we've come in to give her a spell uh, again and again. And I was very concerned then about I sure don't want to come and bring you know, COVID to my mom, who's 86 and going to have a much higher risk factor. And being with her, it became very clear that if she got to choose, we would come see her that the risk of her getting COVID and dying after 86 years of life, was much preferable to being 86. And because she's 86, she can't be around her kids. She's not as mobile as she once was. She doesn't have all the same fun little things that she can do. It's it's a little bit frustrating to get older you know, you and me were, and you may have worn glasses longer, but I'm frustrated that I have to wear glasses and I can't see everything exactly as well as I could a few years ago. It's a little tougher when you're 86. And when you're not steady enough to be uh, mobile, I mean, some people who are 86, they're walking around and that that's great. Uh, And it's great because they're going to have more fun. And life's going to be more meaningful. But one of the ways my mom and I think a lot of people who are her age. One of the ways that life continues to be worth living is to see your children and your grandchildren and your great grandchildren, and to be around people and to appreciate what you've been a part of. And, and so, you know, I in coming in August, I thought, you know, I'm not going to question coming i mean obviously if you know if i boy i'm really feeling sick and i have a sore throat and i you know and i have 107 fever no i'm not coming to visit but if i'm healthy as far as i know i am not saying oh i'm gonna wait for three months or six months or nine months and not see my mom my mom might not be there in three months and six months and nine months And by golly, I'm going for me because I'm going to really, really appreciate that time, but I'm also going for her. And that's, you know, it's just, we all take risks. It's like, here's another thing. We aren't talking so much about our scripts, but but we're talking about good stuff. One of the things that kills me about this whole COVID thing is people being in the hospital and dying alone. And I'm not uh, anybody who you got a decision to make, whether you go to the hospital, or you don't go to the hospital. And then what risk you take, I'm for hundred percent, 110% freedom and you decide, and I understand hospitals are going to have certain rules and so on and so on, but I can tell you that if my wife is in the hospital with COVID, I am going to be there. And if I have to violate some rules, I'm going to find a way to get there. And if I knew that I have a ninety nine point nine percent chance of catching covid and dying from it. If my wife is in the hospital dying from it, I'm taking that chance because that's that's what I agreed to do. And I didn't agree because like someone twisted my arm. That's what I've wanted to do. That's who I am. That's who she is. That's what this is about. And if you, and if you think I'm crazy, well, then don't do it. I and mean, I'm crazy. But you know what? That's what makes me happy. That's what makes me feel like the type of person that I want to be. And being the type of person I want to be kind of makes me feel good. And so that's what I'm going to do. And I, and I just think that we have, we have kind of said, look, life is everything. And so we can't do anything that would take any risk with us dying. And I think that's BS. I don't think life is everything. I think living life as the person you want to be, as the person you are, that is more important than life itself. Um and we talk about when it comes to war and peace oftentimes that or you know the the John McCain thing if you if nothing's bigger than yourself, and I, I don't like that so much because I'm big individualist, I'm not sure any of these things are bigger than myself, um, or they don't have to be. But because it's not it's not that my wife is more important than me. It's that what we have, it's that our love is more important than either one of us. And that's, you know, everybody doesn't have to believe that, but we believe that and acting on that. And and in other things, it's, it's why someone says, I'll volunteer to go to war. I mean, wouldn't a smart thing be to like hide somewhere? But no, because life itself is not worth everything. It's how you live. And it's why freedom's so important. I mean, the idea of someone living their whole life in shackles, and I'm not talking in a prison, I'm talking in a a society that's a prison in North North Korea. I mean, would you risk your life to escape? Hell yes. And, and we have to do everything we can to, you know, make it to where we don't have to risk ourselves, we don't our lives, we don't have to go to war, we don't have to do all these things. But oftentimes, the way that you avoid all of that Is to be willing to stand up and take some risks to, as Barney Fife says, nip it in the bud to fight against clampdowns on free speech, not when the government has censored every you know political organ in the in the country, but to go apoplectic when Facebook bans somebody and not ban somebody just on your side, but even when they ban somebody on the other side who's the most full of you-know-what person you've ever heard. That's the way you you keep a society that's free, free, and avoid having to have unrest in the streets or a revolution or, you know, when are we going to use our Second Amendment rights? Hopefully never. That's why we have Second Amendment rights. Um, Why do we have free speech? So that... We can use it and not have to use our Second Amendment rights. Anyway, there's my, uh, there's my latest rant.
0: You almost hate to go on to something mundane after that. Um, <laughs> but you did have three other pieces this week.
1: Well, and uh, I just popped on one of them, disparate outcomes, desperate logic, which is another thing that you could say, well, you know, this isn't the biggest threat in the whole world It's a huge threat. And the threat is making everything about race, which is a way to say, using anti racism as your motivation to be a complete racist. I'm against racism, so I want race to mean everything. I want to make every decision on race, and here's what we're talking about. In uh, Loudoun County, Virginia, it's Virginia uh, County, very close to mine, in Prince William, It's so it's in the greater Washington, D.C. area, and a very wealthy county, and, and probably more higher percentage white students than in Prince William County or Fairfax or some of the closer in counties to Washington. Uh, but still, a, a decent number of of minorities. Uh, even the non-minority Asians are are there. Uh, Asians don't get to count as a minority because they do well. Well, interestingly enough, that's what this is about. They have a special high school that is a magnet STEM school, and they have these in New York City, uh, different different places where around the country, where you have to get in. You have to pass a test and maybe a couple different exams and there's a they're trying to find out, hey, we have a certain number of slots, this is advanced stuff, so you have to show that you're capable of doing the work and so on, but it's for people who have scored high on tests and do the work and, and can make it. And they also um, you know, they, they have letters of recommendation and different things. And, then, and so you can always look at how are you deciding who gets to get in and no doubt there's some things that could be fixed or done better or, or what have you. But what I would like to avoid are two things, one, making it all about, oh, we're going to just have this many people who have, you know, one ear bigger than the other ear. Or this many for people who wear glasses or this many slots for people who have this skin color or this many slots for the people who have this skin color or this many slots for people who came from this part of the world. And this many slots from people who whose ancestors were from this part of the world. That seems to me to be crazy. And the other thing that seems to be crazy is to have a school designed to help the top students, and then deciding to dumb down the entrance exam, or to make it somehow random or by lottery, anything but but by merit. And if you find that the merit-based system they have is not effective in actually finding merit, well, then let's change it. Then you've got an argument, but their argument there is not about that. It is, let's not have two tests. Let's have one that's easier. There was a prerequisite that you have already gotten through geometry, they want to change that to where and this is a STEM science technology. And what is it? What is the E? uh, What's the E for in STEM? I just engineering uh, engineering, you're right. And, uh, and math and um, (laughs) all the subjects I don't like. But uh, although I I was always uh, Scored better in those subjects, but I just uh, didn't like them as much. But anyway, all of all of those type prerequisites make sense in terms of you're trying to get the top students. But that's not what there was a complaint filed and the attorney general's office looked into it. And of course, the headline said Virginia's AG's office finds elite Loudoun STEM school discriminates against black Hispanic students, black, Hispanic students. That's not at all what the AG found. The AG found there is reason to believe that there is discrimination because there are disparate outcomes. That's like, that's like saying, you know, if there are more black ball players than white ball players on a given sports team, that the coach must be racist. It couldn't be that the black players were better in this particular case than the white players or in another case that the white players or the Asian players were better than this player or that player. It has to be racism. It has to be discrimination. And so they have instructed Loudoun County schools, which public schools are more than happy to do, to work with the NAACP to come up with a new program But the interesting thing about that is the only solutions they seem to be coming up with is to dumb it down. They did have one thing that I thought might make some sense, which was take away the letters of reference which seems to seem to me to create a much more subjective type thing where, Oh, so-and-so raved about Johnny. So Johnny gets in instead of Susie because she didn't know as many people who wrote a really nice raving letter about you. So I'm I'm absolutely copacetic with that sort of thing. Uh, And it sounds like maybe that is a good change, but don't, dumb down all the tests and the and the the classes you have to have as a prerequisite. The other interesting thing about it is that it turns out that the biggest problem is that not as many black and Hispanic students apply. Now this has been suggested to also be racism because somehow they're not telling them they're not informing them, they're not, encourage them. They didn't leave enough breadcrumbs for them to find the, the place to sign up. And hey, if, if they were saying we're going to fix this by sending a letter to every parent or by no, no, they're talking that somehow there needs to be more mentoring going on. It's as if it's all the teacher's fault that they didn't get more black and Hispanic students to sign up. Interestingly enough, of the different like there were 65 hispanic students that signed up there were like 80 blacks or maybe it was reversed there there were 500 something white students there were 1400 asian students who applied who were part of the applic- uh, applicant uh, pool and so it wasn't now now Asian students did get in, I think it was 13% something along those lines, 13% of them got in that applied 15% of the white students got in who applied. And it was only like nine and 7%, some something along those lines for uh, uh, black students and Hispanic students. But of course, those aren't huge differences in the percentages. The problem is largely Black and Hispanic students not applying and having the, the prerequisites and the skills to get there, but mainly not applying. So what this, and I think I'm going to do a, a commentary in the coming days, maybe next week, sometime soon. Um, cause I, as soon as I start to say, I'm going to, then something else comes up, but what is going on here with Asians? What's up with Asians? what is i mean why are they is it is it that the teachers in these schools just like Asians better than anybody else are they just spending all their time working with them and not working with the others why are they all not all but that's the way it feels just like all of them are they're 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 dominating all these different things well what is going on and The only thing that comes to mind that really seems to be a stark difference is that Asian families tend to be much more intact than not just Hispanic and black families, but also white families. People don't realize they look at the the uh, the percentage of of black kids in single family homes and they don't realize that the percentage of white kids in single family homes has gone up faster than the percentage of black kids. Now, they were ahead when the the stats seemed to begin in like 1965, or at least what I've read. And that, you know, but so this is not this is not just a problem that, boy, it's really tough if a black kid doesn't have a dad, because it's almost always that they've got the mom and not the dad. Uh, Not always, but that's most of the time it's a problem if any kid doesn't have a dad or doesn't have a mom. This, this is a big problem. And when all kinds of, you know, when it's a huge percentage, 25 or 75, it's 25, I believe of, of, uh, white kids. Now it's uh, 75 for black kids. And it's somewhere in between for Hispanic. I don't know what the number is. Um, that's a huge issue. And I don't know what the number is among Asians, but, you know, that it's much lower. And that makes a difference. I also there was a little short I read in the paper, it's got to be 30 years ago now. But it was when my kids were younger. And uh, they asked uh, parents of kids who had really had scored up on the honor society and that sort of thing. What enabled your kid to succeed? And overwhelmingly, the answer among white parents was, they're talented. And overwhelmingly, the answer among Asian parents was, they worked hard. And when you think of this world, and how many talented people are unsuccessful, how much wasted to even successful people, I feel like I'm not completely unsuccessful. But boy, and we all have this boy, I wish I would have applied myself more uh, back in high school on this subject or, you know, I got out of high school, I never took any band, I kind of thought the band wasn't cool enough. So I never learned anything about music. I love music. I wish I would have spent more time, you know, learning about that when I was younger and had the time. We grew up without you know, I never learned a second language. these sorts of things are, you know, we, we all wish that we would use our talents more effectively. And so if you know, the parent who, hey, don't worry about it, you're talented. I don't think that's going to work as well as the parent who says you better work hard, because that's the key to success. Because I'm convinced working hard is the key to success. Um, Anyway, and, and I think that different, these are cultural differences. And by golly, I think the rest of us ought to say, how much of that Asian culture do we want to figure out and and implement in our own lives? That's what that's what you always want to do. If someone you know, if if you're playing a a tennis with somebody and they're whooping you, you want to start you want to start figuring out what they're doing, because because you know what we you know how humans usually learn. We see someone else do it and we copy it. It's a bit, it's not dumb, it's smart. And because sometimes you can copy it and you end up doing it better than the person you, you copied it from. So anyway, it's, it's unbelievable that there's no discussion in our country to try to figure out what is it that Asians are doing, Asian students, that is a, that allows them that just beat the pants off of everybody else. And why, are we not interested? We're trying to close these gaps. Wouldn't you want to know what the the people at the top are doing? But that's not what anybody's talking about. And that tells you a lot.
0: I didn't notice any discussion in that case of male and female.
1: No. There was no.
0: Which interests me because in the old days, when I was, you know, when I was young, there was a, uh, a magnet school in Portland called Benson. I think it still exists, actually. And it was overwhelmingly male at that time um, because it's been shown pretty conclusively that men, when they're given the choice, prefer thing-oriented uh, subjects and women tend to prefer, prefer uh, people-oriented subjects. Now you and I are a little bit oddball on this because, like you said, you were good at math and so forth. But you moved to to a more, more people-oriented right. occupation, and and some, you know, history, for instance, right. is a good example of of a more people-oriented uh, field. In third world countries, the the egalitarianism of occupations is pretty high, but in a first world country dedicated to sexual equality, Sweden, the disparate outcomes and life choices between men and women are more striking. That is, women really do sort themselves, uh, and there is sorting themselves into, you know, people-oriented fields, medicine, psychiatry, teaching, and men go off and do things that don't require as many people or or about things more, right? Physics, engineering, that sort of thing. This just happens.
1: Right, we're not talking about all women or all men. It's just the propensity of the, of the gender or the sex.
0: And the idea that this wouldn't also apply to, uh, to race, to me, is preposterous. Oh, I don't know. And, and Thomas Sowell is the big one on this. He, he showed over and over again, we have all this information that ethnicities have propensities that we can't even explain. We don't even understand. Like in World War II, almost all the major generals on both sides of the European theater were German descent. Did we, was there a pro-German uh, discrimination at uh, West Point? Uh, were there anti-German? Uh, were, there, were, were Germans discriminating against non-Germans in military? <laughs> Almost certain. They
1: did in Germany. I know that they re- they really would not allow anyone but a German to be the head of the German army.
0: But not in America, <laughs> and and it's just not it's just not likely. But there was a Eisenhower, and there was all these major figures who were of German descent, and they beat the Germans in Germany. And, uh, of course, people people sometimes don't
1: realize though that that the the largest uh, and I don't know if it's still true, uh, but at one point, uh, well, during World War II, the largest ethnic group in America was German descent. I oh, mean, it's still true. A different descent. There were more German people of German descent than Anglo-Saxon, you know, English descent or Irish descent. Right, right. But but I but, do think that gender is a bigger you know male female is a bigger difference i think that and i haven't studied it but just off the cuff uh is a it, i would expect to be a bigger difference than uh mostly, ethnicity most just because you're it's people are treated so differently i think along those lines and maybe that's less so but it's um and and some of that is people tend to believe oh well, it's just that um, you handed, you know, Billy a fire truck and you handed Susie a doll. And it just is, you know, it it's just it's funny. You hand Susie the fire truck and the fire truck is meeting up with some other fire trucks to talk about something and you hand the boy the doll and that doll is diving through glass to get to some place to fight somebody or, you know, it's, uh, and I'm sure some of that is socialization too, but it's, it's, it's funny that, um, again, what do you do about this? Well, you could create a massive state and then have all kinds of experts decide every issue of race and ethnicity and and sex and everything else and set society according to their grand scheme. Or we could just let people be free, not violate each other's rights, that's why we have police and courts, and people will sort themselves out.
0: Yeah, no, that's obviously the case. I don't see why we would worry about it. I mean, remember when, when we were young, uh, racism and sexism developed a philosophical Perspective. I mean, racism first was sort of the idea that you hate somebody because of a race. That's what that's what the original definition was. That's the only reason you're hating somebody is because of another race. It turned out that the more philosophical idea was that we make too much of race in determining the value or, or or the or the worth of somebody, right? Right. Is that we we ascribe we make too much of race in making all these decisions but there is something to race. I mean these races and these sexes are different and we shouldn't worry about those differences. And in fact, to worry about the differences that are inherent in somebody's biological right. natures right. or their baseline natures I we shouldn't worry about. It. We should just let them be what they are. Right. And then if they want to be something if they want to try to be something different, if if a person who's bad at math wants to become Einstein, we can let them try. I think it's just bad advice.
1: Right. When people have a tendency people have a tendency sometimes sometimes they have to bump their head a few extra times i'm kind of one of you know i'm one of those people that you can tell me but usually i have to kind of bump into the wall a little bit before i move the right direction and and that's going to happen and then of course you're going to have the person who couldn't quite sing and really couldn't be a singer you're not a singer get out of here but just kept coming back and back and back And, you know, and then they find out, well, he doesn't sing so well, but boy, those are some good songs you've written. And, you know, I'm thinking that this is the story of Bob Dylan, because it's not. But but you end up being someone (laughs) like a Bob Dylan who writes a zillion songs because you so loved music and you're so into it. And you don't quite become what you wanted to become, but you still become something great. And you wouldn't have become that great thing, except you took the all the 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 uh, you know people's back of their hands saying, get out of here. You're not any good, and you had the perseverance. So, you know, again, that's why freedom. Because some people have enough perseverance, they may they may jump over that nine foot wall with barbed wire on it.
0: Okay, well that's a nice. That's carrying it back back uh, around. So that's nice. We've touched that back. We're probably done with that subject. Though now I got to ask you because I hold that awful opinion that Bob Dylan can't really sing with beans. Uh, I mean, I don't like his voice. I mean, I understand why the, he's popular, because the songs are great, and he does have a sort of character. Yes, but yes. A lot I would never go character. to Bob Dylan to sing anything I write. No, no, you would <laughs>
1: never, you would never. He's only, uh, he, he actually, uh, as I understand it, is is a good singer and knowing how you know what notes to hit and every, you know and and knowing how singing works, he just has a not a great voice um but he has there, there's certain Bob Dylan songs you wouldn't want someone else to sing, and then there's certain ones that you know if uh Peter Paul and Mary or the birds do it, you're kind of happy that they did it.
0: I like Peter Paul and Mary singing one or two of his hits. I mean, they did a really good job, but they made him even bigger, I think, right?
1: Yeah, I think blowing in the wind was was uh, probably most people, you know, until more recent times had heard it on the radio, it was Peter, Paul and Mary doing it not Bob Dylan. Um, but it, it it is that sort of thing that that, you know, certain people, they're going to stop and they're going to go do something else. Um, but some people, they just, you know, if if that's what moves them, then they have enough perseverance it's amazing how often they end up being successful
0: you know we're on a subject right now about you know personal growth and 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 uh and the like, that does deal with today's script, because the, the focus of today's script is the reaction to uh, Jordan Peterson's do, next book, right? And right. Uh, Jordan Peterson is all about this. I mean, that, that's his main subject. He's a clinical psychologist, and he's he's written about how people could live better lives and so forth. But that's not really what the script is about. It's called Cry No More, and it's for the, the 27th.
1: And of course, it's great because anytime I can slip a song into the, you know, a link to a YouTube song or whatever, I like to do it. And the Stones do, uh, you can't always get what you want, Uh, which is is actually a, a quite interesting song after the election, as we point out, not only because there's a lot of us who didn't get what we wanted and, uh, those of us who are more libertarian, you know, we could sing this song almost every election.
0: I never uh, get what I want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: But uh, but here, of course, uh, it's an interesting song because uh, it was a big song at at Trump rallies and stuff. They were always playing it, which was kind of interesting. I never
0: understood it. I thought it was the weirdest thing. It's a drug song. It's basically about hooking up with a druggie girl, right?
1: Yeah, but it's become, I think, I think it's become more the line, you can't always get what you want. And but if you try, sometimes you get what you need in a more philosophic way or something. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody's nobody's thinking of, uh, you know. You know, my favorite monkey man is about somebody who's a heroin addict. But my favorite line is that he always has an unmade bed because it made me feel better as a teenager when, you know, my mom got on to me that well. Hey, It's it's kind of cool. They're even saying songs about not making your bed. Um, it wasn't the I wasn't thinking of, you know, gee, I'm, a, I'm a halfway to being a heroin addict because I didn't make my bed. Um, but here, I think I think the key element is that. You know, you can agree with Jordan Peterson, you can disagree with him, but the fact that that he has become, in some people's eyes, because we we're talking about, and what was the publishing house? I'm going to Penguin uh, that decided they're going to publish his book. I mean, he's he's, uh, he's somebody who sells books. They're going to publish his book, and there were a lot of young people at Penguin who were livid that they were publishing him. And you know in a free society, it seems to me you shouldn't be very surprised that unless you unless you own the the publishing house that you're working for someplace that's going to publish some things that you don't particularly like, and this idea that you know we only ha- let people speak or communicate who we agree with everything they say it's there's gonna be a lot of silence, but it also is this idea that we can just not just that, hey, okay, it's understandable. you don't like, you know, somebody. Oh, you're disappointed that your publishing house is publishing their book. But the idea that you can just label someone a white supremacist or transphobic or whatever without any real evidence whatsoever. I mean, it, it was, you know, someone who says, hey, I don't know if it's such a great idea. And this is, in fact, last week when we had the the uh, commentary about uh, Bill Maher and him giving a hard time to people on the far left who were way over the top. One of the things he mentioned was this that the idea, you know, this idea that, you know, every toddler who you think for a second might be the other gender should go through some surgery and not just, you know, but some six year old or eight year old or, you know, even in puberty, it seems to me like these are questions that people should be discussing. And we should be thinking about, you know, what makes sense. And we shouldn't have this idea that whatever someone says, if someone wants to change someone else's gender, at two days, who are we to say anything about it? Well, you know, unless you believe parental rights include the right to, you know, mutilate your kid, because someone could certainly argue that is, it's, you know, these, and and the truth is, maybe these people are all transphobic. Maybe they're maybe at the end of the day, we all hear all the arguments on every side of it. And that's what we decide. Let's hear the arguments. Let's stop walking on eggshells. And let's stop throwing eggshells on the floor and telling people to walk on them. Because this idea that there's just certain things you should never say. And that you can't talk about anything. One of my favorites is the word Oriental. You know, we have Oriental medicine. I read an, an op-ed by a woman who's who practices Oriental medicine and who is says she is Oriental. And there are often times where it seems to me that you're trying to talk to the people who are, you're trying to talk about the people who live in China and Japan and Korea, and not the people who live in you know, Afghanistan or India, well, all of those people are Asian. So if the only word you can use is Asian, you couldn't say Oriental, it it seems like we need a new word to be able to, to talk about people who are from the Orient. But you'll constantly be told Oriental is a racist word, as if it was a slur against people from the Orient. And maybe some people did say, Hey, there's an Oriental, I hate them because they look different than me. (laughs) I hate them, because they've got all the top slots at the best schools because they actually study. But but anyway, and so maybe someone used it that way. But it's just it there's nothing about the word that is racist in any way that I can figure out in reality. But at the same time, if you use it, everyone goes berserk because we don't live in reality, we live in this pretend world. So it's, it's, uh, there's a lot of these types of things, and we need to knock them down one after the other, and and stop playing into them. And so maybe I should use the word Oriental as much as I have any reason to use it. And in other things that that if, if you have an opinion about how people should deal with kids who they're not sure about their gender sense and so on. Maybe you should say it instead of not say it. And maybe if you hear it, and you think, wow, that's a wacky opinion, maybe you ought to just gently offer your own. And maybe in that discussion, something good would happen, instead of calling that person a white supremacist or a transphobe, and never engaging with what they're really thinking and, and actually believe. So um, anyway, this is this is also a, a, just a huge free speech thing. The, you know, the idea that certain books need to be burned, that certain people need to be banished, this, these are not core American beliefs. These are foreign to the entire history of America. And and maybe last, I guess we should just talk a little bit about uh, good relations with genocide. And I have a question mark at the end of that, because I'm kind of questioning, does it really make sense to have like good relationships with countries who are practicing genocide? I mean, should we have kind of tried to buddy up to Hitler and the Nazis a little bit more? Should we have traded with them more and tried to get them to see our way and or just worked with them. Maybe, maybe if they had maybe if there was still, uh, uh, the Nazis had won World War Two and controlled Europe, we might need to deal with them now on climate change. I mean, come on climate change. A lot of people believe it's an existential threat. It could be we don't ever know what's going to happen tomorrow in the weather, um, or in 100 years or 10 or whatever. So would we if Hitler and the Nazis controlled Europe, Should we kind of realize, hey, we got to deal with them, we need their help on climate change? Or would we have a different attitude? And the reason I say this is because there was a great op ed written by Josh Rogan in The Washington Post. And how often do I come on this podcast and say there was a great op ed in The Washington Post or anything great in The Washington Post. But this was this was a very good uh, op ed because it recognize what we're not hearing, which is there's a lot of pressure among corporate America to let's get back to a smooth relationship with Xi Jinping and the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party that controls China. And there's a lot of money to be made if you can get access to that 1.5 billion people. Um, We have a lot of trade and all kinds of businesses that are in China are our um, uh, supply chains include all kinds of things happening in China. And of course, in the last year or so, there's been a massive move, not just by the United States. You know, there are a lot of people who want to act like, oh, just Trump decided to start this big fight with China. And this is just about that. Well, Australia is in a huge fight with China right now. China is embargoing all kinds of things. And, and one of the the things that they have said to uh, folks in Australia is if you want good relations, there's a few things you need to do. And Rogan says them, and I'll just quote him, Australia must stop exposing Chinese Chinese Communist Party influence efforts on its soil. See, they're finding that that the Chinese are basically bribing, putting professors on the payroll at different colleges, different uh, researchers and people are being worked on by China. The same things happening in the United States. Every couple of weeks, there's some new professor who didn't didn't quite tell the feds like he was supposed to that he's getting 4.5 million from the Chinese. They are pretty good at soft power, especially the bribery side of soft power, and they're using it very effectively. Let me go on. So they must stop exposing Chinese Communist Party influence efforts on its soil. Shut up about Taiwan, Hong Kong, and the Uyghurs. And shut up is really something the CCP is big on. They want everyone to shut up about all the genocide that they're carrying on. There is a genocide going on right now. Not it's it's the only difference between what Hitler did with the Jews. And what the Chinese are doing with the Uyghurs is that we don't know that they have ovens and are massacring people in mass. They are, however, browbeating and beating people preventing them from practicing their religion, sterilizing them against their will, Um, these are all considered, any one of those things would be considered genocide, because genocide is trying to destroy a whole people. And you can kill them all, yeah, that's one way to destroy them, but there are other ways to destroy them as a people. And that is what China is doing. And it seems to me that we have to react to that. And of course, what they're also doing is turning the free people of Hong Kong, who were supposed to be free for another 27 years in the stupid agreement with Britain into slaves right now with their national security law that says they can't say anything against the government. And what do they want next? Next, they want to go take Taiwan, which they claim well, you know, they claim a lot of stuff. And I've had people tell me, well, you know, China's never aggressed against its neighbors. Well, (laughs) tell that to the dead Indians on the border in the Himalayas. Tell that to Tibet. Well, oh yeah, well, they they, they, they haven't attacked Tibet, they've taken it completely over and enslaved the populace. And there's still resistance to their rule. And they've had many of the same efforts to wipe out religious practice. This is insidious. And this is something that everybody on any decent political spectrum should oppose. And the whole point that Josh Rogan is trying to make is, it do not, Mr. Biden, try to get smooth relations with the Chinese. If you want to build, which is what I'm hoping Biden will do, and it's the one place that you could see somebody might do a, a, a little bit better job than Trump in terms of getting Japan and South Korea and Taiwan and Australia on the same page to say, and Vietnam, and Malaysia and Indonesia, where all of them and the Philippines, where China is aggressing and trying to take islands that are theirs, waters that are theirs. So there is, I think, an opportunity to build a real alliance against, you know, incursion. And, and tyranny and attacks, including military invasions, um, to stop China from doing that, and prevent that, and hold them a little bit better in check. And maybe Biden will do that, let's hope. Because um, if he doesn't, if he goes back to business as usual, I just, I think we're going to see war. And I think we're going to see a pretty serious war. And if we don't see a serious war, we're going to see an, an Asia that is completely controlled by the Chinese. And I, I worry that, that we are in the beginnings of a World War Three, in the same way that, you know, before Pearl Harbor, before uh, the Germans invaded Poland, World War Two had already begun. And I sometimes compare uh, an attack by uh, China against Taiwan, or the West kind of saying, "Okay, well, we won't fight you over Taiwan." To the West saying, before World War II, well, you know, Chamberlain flies to Munich, and uh, or Berlin. Was it Munich or Berlin? Somehow, I think it was Munich. But anyway, he flies. He meets with Hitler. He gets an agreement. We have peace in our time. And by the way. Germany gets to take over the Sudetenland. Um, that didn't stop Germany. And I'm convinced that handing over arguably the freest country in Asia, the only country in Asia that has uh, gay marriage that allows same-sex marriage, the only country in Asia that has a vibrant initiative and referendum process so the the people have direct democratic checks on their government, uh, a country with term limits on their president, uh, just and they've developed from Chiang Shek's fascist dictatorship into this wonderful country, somehow giving that 24 million people basically roughly the same size population as Australia, to a communist totalitarian fate, more totalitarian than communist, but that is just, it's just so horrific a thought. And the truth is, what does history suggest? I think it suggests that the Chinese Communist Party doesn't stop there. In fact, they don't seem to have any stop anywhere unless someone is stopping them. So um, I, I think it's really critical. I, I, I One of the main reasons that I preferred a Donald Trump victory to a Joe Biden victory, um, other than just how terrible Biden is on everything, uh, was that Trump had stood up to the Chinese for whatever reason, whatever motivations you believe it was. I just don't think there's any question that no other president in my lifetime has stood up to the Chinese, and Trump did. And I'm so afraid, especially with the track record in the Obama administration and with his son, Hunter, uh, that Biden would be terrible on China, and that we would just go back to pretending that they're just like us, just a different system, no big deal, nothing to see here. Let's trade and make money. Oops, they control our universities, they bought off this person, they've stolen all this intellectual property. Oh, who cares? There's still lots of money to be made. That scares me. And, uh, and I'm actually I've become a little bit more hopeful with some of the things that people close to the Biden administration have said and and some of the media starting to push like this op ed by Rogan uh, starting to push him on this, that we need to be eyes wide open about what the China Nazis are all about. And uh, so I I was glad to see this, this piece in the post. uh, And I and I think we have to, you know, I don't have all the answers on how we should, you know, what what the government should do, precisely in every case. If we recognize that China is equivalent to a Nazi society and practices genocide, right now, today, it is happening. I'm convinced the choices for what we do are going to be different than if we have a media, which has gotten millions, Washington Post, Wall Street Journal, have split about $10 million from the, from the communist Chinese in the last four or five years in ad dollars that have been spent with those publications. But, I mean, if we go back to, hey, China is just another country like any other, a little different system, but hey, what the heck? Well, then the choices are going to be, hey, why would we want to fight these people? They are claiming Taiwan. Who are we to say anything? Let's just let them do it because then we're going to have an easier time trading and and our, our big businesses, our big corporations can make a bunch of money. I want to trade. I love trade. But we have to recognize who they are. And if we do, I'm convinced our choices and our decision making is going to apt to be a heck of a lot better than if we don't.
0: On that happy note, is that a happy note? Is that a happy note? <laughs> we probably should end.
1: Yes. Yes, we should. And, and and if we thought about whether it was actually a happy note or not, we'd we'd go on and on. Thank you very much, sir.
0: This podcast can be found at Bitshuton, YouTube, and SoundCloud. But just go to thisiscommonsense.org. You'll see everything you need, including Paul Jacob writing five days a week about the big issues of the day.